Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care. My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health. And it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. Welcome in everyone to another episode of the Patient No Longer podcast from NRC Health. I'm Ryan Donahue, and I'm here with today's guest, Bill Robertson, the CEO of Multicare Health System out of Washington State. Hello, Bill. Well, Ryan, thanks for allowing me to join you today. We've had a couple of conversations as of late, and I knew that this would be incredible material for our listeners on a wide view. Bill, you know, we're in the springtime. Thank goodness we're emerging from a long winter. And I want to talk to you a little bit about COVID. And I think what we're hearing from a lot of healthcare executives is sort of like, I'm seeing the sunlight and I'm saying, okay, I can start thinking about implementing some of the strategies that were either put on hold because of the pandemic, or we've been formulating it this winter, but it's been stop, start, stop, start. You had such an interesting response to the pandemic. I was wondering if you could talk first about that and then some of those principles that were really COVID-led or COVID-spurred that have stayed with you as an organization now and into the future. Sure. Well, COVID is not something that I need to speak to for people in the healthcare space because every one of us had a dramatically interesting, challenging journey. I would say that at the early stages of COVID for multicare, we put together a construct that we said we have to be intentional about how we go on whatever this journey is. We didn't know what the journey was going to be. And we articulated this about 30 days into our journey with COVID. So we were already shutting down healthcare at the time in Washington State. We were the, really the first place in the United States was Washington where COVID first emerged and We watched our colleagues at Evergreen Health struggle through that. And so we were trying to get ready for that. And one of the things we said very early on, we actually had three ideas that we articulated. We said, in COVID, we are going to reaffirm and re-embrace our mission, our vision, and our values. That it would be a shame in a pandemic to have lived through that and look back and say, we failed in our mission. We didn't live our values. We didn't keep the fact that we have a vision about how we're going to care for our communities center stage during this time. We reaffirmed our mission, vision, and our values. The second thing we said was we have to recommit to creating real, tangible, win-win benefit for the people we serve. So we were very challenged there. Elective procedures were being discontinued, and we had to say, how do we make sure that we affirm our commitment to creating things that work for those that we are privileged to serve and keep us viable and afloat as an organization. That was the second idea. And the third idea that we articulated was that we are not going to lose our longer-term strategic focus. We're going to live in the present. We're going to think about the near term, and we're going to think about the far. How are we going to create the future? So we call that now near far. So that was the approach, the construct we looked at. We built out in that context things that focused on COVID, you know, incident command and all the things people did with that. We built out infrastructure to say we're probably going to have to 
deal with the regulatory challenges that waivers and all have will create over time and maybe excess money that flows through the system from a grant perspective and all those things, there's going to be compliance issues. So we built out that infrastructure and we said, there's going to be people who need to collaborate differently in our markets in the longer term, and we should be ready to connect with them today. We're not re-engaging our strategy today now that we're coming out of COVID. We're actually have been very active in our strategic agenda throughout COVID, even as we provided inspiring care our clinicians did to the communities we serve. So a really interesting construct for us, and we think it's served us well. Now we're pivoting towards how do we win the peace now that COVID is waning? How do we need to be different in the post-COVID era or the present COVID era, whatever we want to see that as, to a construct to help us re-engage our team members in a less clinically intense environment, but one that is dramatically changed for them career-wise, community-wise, and the like. Now, a new construct emerging about how we think about winning the peace now that COVID is in the rearview mirror. I like the way you framed it ever so cautiously. You know, my colleague, Dr. Stephen Clasco, who co-wrote the Patient No Longer book with me, he talks about before COVID, during COVID, and now kind of after COVID. Before we get to winning the peace, because that's excellent. I've not heard that. I do want to talk a little bit more about your spots, because in Washington State, you were really the canary in the coal mine. And you had infectious disease team experts talking in December of 2019 about something coming. You were building up inventory and supplies in January before a lot of other parts of the country were even thinking about something like that, let alone trying to get PPE and other things. And what I've heard from other leaders across the country who were not in that first wave or that zero wave almost that you encountered was they had to scrap not only the near and the far, but it was just such a focus on the now. You know, the five-year plan became a five-day plan. And yet when I listen to you, you've talked about how you were able to keep that rolling, the now, near, the far, the strategy. I, I think so many others got locked into tunnel vision. How did you avoid that? Was there luck involved? Was it the fact that you were so early on? Or were there other organizational things that allowed you to break out of that tunnel vision and say, hold on, we, we can't lose sight of the future, even though we're facing an incredible crisis today? You know, luck is always a really important part of life, but I see luck as being in many ways the residue of good planning. So yes, we were very lucky in some ways and not lucky in other ways. I mean, we did a very large purchase of PPE, which a lot of other people did from a certain vendor and found out it was all counterfeit. So we had some things that didn't work particularly well, but we have outstanding teams that work. But this construct helped us with that. The construct I described, we built out teams to deal with the now and the near, and we supported them really, really well. And we also kept a portion of the team thinking about how do we stay relevant beyond the journey of COVID, whatever that journey is going to be. So we were always proactive supporting the teams in the now and the near, but we did preserve some, I would say, intellectual capacity anyway, to think more broadly. And we were successful at some very interesting things during COVID. We were able to acquire another hospital that we've been trying to acquire for many, many years. We expanded our relationship with another health system from being the provisioner of their Epic platform very successfully. 
During that time, we stood up a relationship with the largest FQHC in our region and are supporting their EPIC platform. So a whole number of things that were not EPIC-centric, but they were meeting the needs of the community-centric, which is where the recommitment to the win-win for the communities we serve was part of that construct. And you've expanded and grown. And one of the things I admire about Multicare is that you've really grown into a real force. I mean, you are the largest secular community-based locally governed health system in Washington state. And there's quite a few health systems in Washington state. And you've presided over a lot of that over the last eight years. One of the things that I think is so impressive I've heard you talk about is really believing and doing the mission and the vision and the values work. So many times we put something out there and I've got leaders right now saying, hey, I think we're going to refresh our mission because we just emerged from COVID. And you really doubled down on that. We want to talk about winning the peace. I really think a big part of that is your team members, as you call them, not just employees, but team members that are part of Multicare. Can you explain how you've been able to keep that focus and that empathy and actually had an active mission, vision, and values when others are sort of maybe picking up the pieces a little bit and deciding if they want to refresh them or not. Talk a little bit more about your work there. Our focus on mission and vision and values of the organization didn't start with COVID. I am privileged to present frequently with the various parts of the organization. I start every presentation that I do with what is our mission? Why do we exist? What is tangible evidence of that? What is our vision? Who are we trying to become? What's the tangible evidence of us moving towards that. What are our values? What do they mean? I start every presentation with that. We have a very significant engagement around what our mission, vision, and values are. We hear from people who interview to come join us in this organization that they hear from every layer in the organization about the mission of the organization and the values of the organization. They're ever present. If they're not meaningful, why have them? And so they frame everything we do. Every board meeting that we have, which I have nine of them a year, we have a whole section where we review how does the board see the world? What is our mission? What's our vision? What's our values? What's the strategic agenda? What are we trying to accomplish? We review all of that at every board meeting. Now, it may only take five or six minutes, but it's the context within which we do all of our work. Every morning when I'm backing out of my driveway, I mentally run through what is our mission, what's our vision, what's our values, because if what my day looks like is not congruent with those, then I need to change what I'm doing in that day, because otherwise it's kind of just words, and while words are important, if you don't create meaning out of those words, then it's rather irrelevant exercise. Other people are backing out with, you know, reverse neutral drive. You've got mission, vision, values, right? I mean, I love that, that you start your day with that, you start your meeting with that. And the other theme I'm already detecting is you're putting real resources behind these things. Too often with mission, vision, values, no one owns them, but you're making everyone in that meeting look through that lens and own it. And it's same thing with your response on now, near and far as you're putting team members behind them. I mean, it's such a great idea to have a group of people dedicated to thinking about the far term and what you need to do there. Other organizations talk about it and their heart's in the right place. It doesn't seem like they assign resources. So let's go future facing now, winning the peace and the strategy of 2022 and and obviously beyond. Everything I read, see, and hear about workforce is negative. The great resignation last year, 
we're beyond burnout. I heard someone describe resiliency as sort of condescending because it's like at this point, if we say you're resilient, it's like, hey, you're still here for some reason, taking the punishment, but you've been so resilient. How do we engage our team members? How do we rejuvenate, as I've recently heard it, our workforce? That's got to be a big component of winning the peace because it seems like the workforce is not very peaceful right now. What's your stance on that? We have in our winning the peace construct that we've articulated, I'd say 75% of what we're focusing on is how do we restore hope in a workforce that has experienced incredible trauma, quite frankly, way more death than anyone should have to see during a disease process like we went through. So we're looking to say, how do we restore hope? How do we engage people in a way that allows them to see a future in healthcare, see a future in their role with multi-care? And that takes being present. I have this thing that I say occasionally that about 70% or 80% of leadership is showing up. And the second piece of leadership is to define reality and inspire hope. And so we're really proactively seeking to show up. And we tried to do that during COVID. It was more difficult. And listen, the problems on their face may not be actually the things that need to be addressed. And we also see that with patients, quite frankly. You know, what we're trying to solve with patients in terms of their experience may not be the fact that they need a mammogram or they want a GI procedure. It's they're afraid of what they might find. It's they're uncomfortable with of the space. They need privacy. So we have to listen to our team members and we do a lot of active listening to help reshape the experience of working in healthcare, not just multi-care, in healthcare. And we're investing very heavily in ensuring there's a pipeline of talented, younger individuals who want to choose careers in healthcare. How do we build up that kind of capacity for our communities, which ultimately helps us be able to meet our mission. Well, and again, you're taking the long view on that, which I really appreciate. I think so many people are just sort of panicking about what do we do in 2022? And the other piece is they're thinking about motivation and how to restore inspiration and things like that. But I think it's really interesting, the hope piece and restoring hope, because what that makes me think of is a lot of people had really good reasons, really personal, almost sacred reasons for getting into healthcare in the first place. And they've lost that. And it's not always about creating something new or different to replace it. It's about bringing it back. And what we do is we all resume our lives and try to enjoy the things we used to enjoy. And again, I think you're taking a really smart approach there. I was going to ask you about the patient experience. So we've got our workforce there. They exist because we've got patients coming in for care. We've got people coming in who've put off care. I mean, the NRC Health Market Insights numbers say that up to half the country delayed what they thought was necessary care in 2020. They didn't all come back in 2021, and a lot of them still haven't come back. And the complications and issues that we're going to see there are quite fatiguing to even think about. Where are you at with the returning patient experience, the strategy, winning the piece, so to speak, on that external side of people coming in? That's a great question. We did see very significant degradation in people accessing care during different parts of COVID. You know, after the first big wave, there was a very significant backlog of patients, which we were able to very effectively work through. This most recent 
Delta followed by Omicron was a huge challenge for us. What's interesting is after the first wave of COVID, we were able to work through about two months worth of backlog in about nine or 10 weeks after we got to reopen elective procedural activity. It's a lot harder today after the most recent surge because even though there's not much COVID present anymore, I mean, we may have 25 COVID patients total inpatient in our hospitals. Our hospitals have more patients than 100% occupancy. So we still are capacity constrained because of this, I would say, backlog disease burden that is kind of pent up through the community generally. And so it's a different set of strategies to create more capacity for patients. So one of the things that we are doubling down on is rebuilding systems and processes that reduce the amount of time it takes for care to happen. So, you know, I have this theory that a lot of patient experience is not about whether or not we have team members who are compassionate. It's whether our systems and processes allow the care to be something that is engaging for both the people who are providing the care and for the recipient of that care. So by way of an example, we're in the middle of a re-engineering and all of our acute care hospitals, our emergency department systems and processes with awesome outcome. We've had dramatic reduction in left without being seen, which wasn't high anyway, but now much lower. Dramatic reductions in door-to-door time, dramatic reductions in time to be seen. And there's been a very interesting thing, a corresponding very significant increase in the patient experience. And we had pretty good ER patient experience generally, but we have several of our facilities now that are at the 99th percentile in patient experience because there's good people now working in systems and processes that deliver outcomes in a timely way that is engaging of both the clinicians and the teams that work there and the patient. So we're investing very significantly in the systems and processes that support the experience that people have. And I think too often, Bill, sometimes people think that the system, if we just put it in place, that will engage patients. That should do it. And what you said in there that I want to make sure gets really bright lined is that it is great people. The system allows great people to then do what they do, which is connect on a personal level and make that human experience. And all these things that we're talking about, strategies and processes to do, people do those things, right? Yes. Your systems and processes diminish the amount of time a clinician or a team member can engage with the patient then they are diminishing the experience for that patient. So it's an interplay. If you have team members who don't care, good systems and processes don't particularly help, but poor systems and processes create a dramatic drag on people's experience, both as someone who works on the team and as someone who experiences the care. Like DNA. So you have great people and great systems and processes highly functioning, and together what we create is a really human, humane, compassionate, high-quality experience because of the double helix experience. I'm picturing it in my head, all of that wrapped together, and it becomes something beautiful, something you can build off of. And I love that. I want to even zoom out further. So you've done a great job of talking about the team members within Multicare and then these patients coming back in wanting excellent experiences, and some of them haven't been here for a while. But as those two meet, there's a wider consideration we have to make in the industry. 
And that is, how do we actually get someone to become our customer? That doesn't just happen when they walk in the door. There are several decisions that are made, not always by the customer, that happen prior to that. Can you describe that landscape? Yeah, I spent a lot of years now in healthcare. And for a big part of my early years in healthcare, we saw patients just showed up. If you build it, they will come. We built a hospital, people showed up, it was great. But what we didn't realize is necessarily all the decisions that get made before someone becomes a patient of a hospital or of a health system. And so we've spent a lot of time thinking about where are the decisions made that allow someone to become a patient at a multi-care clinical service. And the first place is decisions get made. A broker decides whether they're going to include a product in their portfolio that they market to say, employers, that includes multi-care, we never get them as a patient unless they happen to show up in a trauma situation. So there's a decision that gets made by a broker, and there's a decision that gets made by an employer about what products they are going to include in their benefits for their employees. And then an employee has to choose amongst the products that are available. And if each of those decisions don't include the ability to access multi-care and its services, then when someone's choosing a clinician for patient care, they're not going to get to choose multi-care. And so we're working very intentionally to say, how do we be a part of every decision that gets made long before there is a patient decision that's having to get made about where they're going to consume healthcare services? And I think it's important for people in healthcare to recognize is there's a whole decision-making process that is largely invisible to us on generally on the provision of care side of the healthcare ecosystem. It's almost like in some ways, like when all the planets align, I mean, you forget that there's so many things that have to happen before someone becomes your patient, unless like you said, it's a traumatic experience, which we know can be some of the worst experiences and the hardest ways to engage people when they come in through, you know, the big red door of the ED. Uh, And I think that's so interesting. So you've got people coming in for care when they are in those first stages. Have you as an organization found ways to engage them when they're not just receiving traditional healthcare, right? Because we know in patients' lives, they're really only a patient for a sliver of the time, unless they're battling, you know, some sort of very serious disease or a bunch of chronic conditions. They're typically just a sliver of their life. They're within our care system. And it's tough sometimes to engage them during those really important moments, but it's all we've got in some cases. Then in other cases, when we don't think of it as traditional healthcare delivery, we've got all the opportunity in the world to engage people. And you've talked about engaging the community. Have you found successful ways to engage people when they are not in a gown, so to speak? In fact, that's the most important place for us to engage people. We see our community as the place to engage. You know, where's the population that is our community and how do we create relationships before they ever need health care? Part of our journey away from episodic fee-for-service sick care, which we've been on now for about eight years, towards what we say value-based care, where we are taking responsibility for total cost of care, working with populations, is to engage around a population before their patients. So let's help them have 
an understanding of their health status. Let's understand when they have needs that are growing before they end up in an ER. So we're working to create relationships broadly in the community with individuals, with employers, with governments, from kind of a population perspective before they're ever patients, because ultimately our mission is health and health status. It isn't about delivery of healthcare. We do delivery of healthcare because that's part of that. But our end game is how do we improve the health status of the community? And in fact, our mission is partnering for healing and a healthy future. And we're trying to create health in the communities as opposed to just delivery of healthcare. And if all you work with is patients, you don't get to do that. So our goal is to work with the community before they ever become patients, hoping to keep them from having to become patients. And in order to do that, you have to be willing to take risk in your payer contracting for a population in order to do that effectively. Well, and you've been able to do that. And I think it's because you've been willing to go to the consumer and the customer before they become a patient and sort of reverse that. Well, we'll wait for them to come to us, the old field of dreams. If we build it, they will come sort of approach. So you've really blown that apart. Also, bonus points for working your mission into your answer effortlessly. I did not see you look away at a piece of paper. You do have that fully memorized and you would be shocked perhaps by the executives who do not know their mission from memory. You're doing an excellent job of thinking of this in a really wide scale and thinking about the before, during, and the after. In fact, one of the things I've heard you describe is that there's all kinds of different quote-unquote customers. In fact, I've heard you talk about them in sort of a segmented way of there's five different customer types. And I think this is such an interesting idea and way to sort of simultaneously view different people who have different relationships with your organization. Could you talk a little bit more about the five types? Our vision is that MultiCare will be the Pacific Northwest highest value system of health. And we define highest value as being from the perception of our customers. We don't get to define value, our customers define value. And what's complex about healthcare, Peter Drucker actually talks about American healthcare as the most complex ecosystem that exists, is that we don't just have consumers as our customer. We think we have five. We have consumer customers, which are both patients, but even individuals who are consumers who are not a patient. So in our pediatric hospital, the baby's the patient, the parent's a consumer. So we have consumer customers. We have what we define as collegial customers. That's our team members, members of our medical staff, those of us who work together to create the healthcare delivery and the health delivery that we do. We have what we call as collaborative customers, those we partner with, consistent with our mission in the community. So that might be the United Way. It might be one of our fiercest competitors. We have a lot of partnership with an organization that we compete with on lots of things. Then the fourth group is what we call corporate customers, those who make decisions about how healthcare is going to get consumed for groups. So employers, brokers, insurance companies. And then the last group is what we call constituent customers, those who license us, accredit us, who regulate us, govern us. And each one will define value differently. And our job has to be to create the highest value for each of those groups. It's all the same product, but there can be more than one truth. So, you know, a consumer sees the world differently than a corporate customer. So how do we create value for both of those at the same time? So it's a lot of 
We need to do this and this and this in order to create the highest value for those that we are privileged to serve, whether they're a corporate customer or a consumer customer or those who work in our team or those we collaborate with or those who let us keep operating because we you know, meet our Joint Commission accreditation and are licensed in the state of Washington. On the way that you describe, you know, their different perspectives is so important because I think sometimes we think we can develop and deploy a strategy that will move the needle on all five of those customer types without even thinking about it. And there's really not one particular strategy that can do that because those groups are so different. I want to dig in on one in particular time permitting here. That's the collegial customer. I love how you say that because often we assume our employees are just going to get on board they're going to believe in our mission, our vision, our values. They're going to believe in all the things we need to do care-wise. They're here. They wear our logo on them somewhere. Aren't they in line? Aren't they ready to go? And we know, especially in the last year, that that is an assumption we cannot afford to make. So tell me just a little bit more on team members when you view that particular customer type, your strategy for engaging them, because I think they're the one in particular that's in focus right now. How do we continue? to keep them seeing value in us, which as you stated, is going to be different from how a patient or a broker or someone else does see value. Well, the most important customer group that we have is actually our collegial customers, because if we can't create value for them and with them, we're not going to succeed with any of the other customer groups. Our mission comes to life and our values become present because of our team members in the organization, whether they're members of the independent medical staff or physicians and clinicians who are employed by us or team members across the organization. You know, when you think about marketing, you have to first listen to your customer. And so that's one of the reasons we articulated collegial customers as customers, even though they're team members as well. It's important for us to actively listen and engage and and create value for them. And value changed. It was very interesting to watch how value changed during COVID. So suddenly childcare became something that we became actively engaged in when we had been only marginally engaged in because when people, their childcare resources dried up in the community because childcare were closed. So we became actively engaged in making childcare available for our team members. And that phase has passed. We also made resources available to help parents be able to find access to tutoring for kids because, you know, when kids are all going to virtual school, huge problem. So it's being proactive around what creates value for our team members that we have sought to do. Now, we have a lot of room, obviously, to do it better. We're always trying to learn how to do better. We are a learning organization. Learning organization means we recognize that all success begins with failure. So don't let failure put you off. You have to learn from that and create value as you go forward from what you learn from. Always trying to learn. You do it with the right dose of humility, but you've really accomplished something great there. And I think a lot of organizations want to engage their team members in that way. But when they spend all of their listening and learning resources, it jumps right over their team members' heads, right over employees' heads, and right to the external audience. And you've called them out as such an important piece. In fact, the, the cornerstone of that process. I want to ask you one more question, and that's around, you know, we have so many people, so great resignation, man. We've got a lot of new team members. We have a lot of day one type folks who are coming in at a very interesting time in healthcare. 
And, you know, from the executive level to the director level to really anybody starting with a new set of responsibilities, what is your advice? You've been through this, you're seasoned, you've grown. What would be your advice to someone starting day one who wants to change healthcare for the better, but it's an interesting time. So what would you tell them on that first day? Well, it's interesting. I frequently have been told that one should wait a long time to do anything different. But I say to people, you know, make some change on your first day. Signal that the status quo isn't where the organization needs to be. Now, I was privileged to join Multicare a number of years ago, an amazing organization. You don't change something that's going to blow anything up. But my first job in healthcare, I was a director of accounting. And I went into the office on the Sunday before I started. And I moved my desk from one side of the room to the other. That was my change. Because I was saying, you know, we're going to think about things differently. And I had a great team there and we did good things. And, but they did notice that the world was going to be a little different. You gave them some nice cues. Too often people say, you know, I'm going to observe for 90 days or six months or whatever, and then I'll finally figure it out. But those days never come. You've obviously accomplished a lot, Bill. It was so great to hear some of your ideas, some of the things that you've done in Multicare to build this into what it is. And we're grateful to have healthcare leaders like you working in the industry today. Well, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to talk today. Wonderful. Well, we appreciate having you on. This has been another episode of Patient No Longer. Bill Robertson, CEO of Multicare Health System on the West Coast. And we hope our paths will cross with you again, Bill. Thank you.